This is Retails, Conversations with Profit Protection, the podcast that talks direct with retailers about all things loss prevention with your host, Nicole Smith. Did you know that the Profit Protection Future Forum is the only not-for-profit industry body promoting the interests of retail loss prevention professionals in Australia and New Zealand? Hi there and welcome to the show. On today's episode, I'm talking with the retailers on the PPFF committee. I've got Mark Boyd from Next Death Leisure, Nick Smith from Chemist Warehouse and Veronica Denner from APG & Co. And I've spoken to all of our committee members throughout Season 1 and Season 2 of Retails, Conversations with Profit Protection. And whilst I've got you all in the room, which is a pretty rare occurrence, I want to get your views on the future of profit protection. So thanks to you all for being here today. Thanks for having us. Thanks a lot, yeah. Profit protection, loss prevention, asset protection, whatever you want to call it, has had its ups and downs over the years. We've seen LPs come through the very traditional pathway of law enforcement, where it's all been about apprehending shoplifters, to coming through the ranks of stores. And now it's very technology and analytics driven. And I don't think there's a right or a wrong way to look at retail loss prevention. But here we are in 2019, and the landscape is looking quite different to what it was five, ten years ago. So I'm happy to be corrected if you think I've missed the mark. But Nick, in your opinion, what what for you is the past oh, of the loss pa- prevention? The past was absolutely catching crooks. Um, you know, you'd come to, go to your manager and you'd go, how many people have you caught this week? That was absolutely the past. It was law enforcement. It was just enforcement. It was about catching the people. There wasn't actually much in the way of planning to stop the people from stealing the next time. It was just catch, 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 and that's all it was. Um, we were seen as the the, the muscle. Uh, we were seen as just out there just to try and get people. And you know, we actually had probably an area where we were very uh, people were very scared of us. Mm-hmm. That oh god, here comes security or here comes loss prevention. Um, whereas that's just not the not the case now. It hasn't been for probably ten years now, I think. So, Veronica, for you, what did the past look like? Um, yeah, I definitely agree with that. So. We used to, you know, um, like I said in my podcast, run after the thieves. Um, you know, um, centre security used to run with us, run for us, um, <laughs> all of that. So yeah, it was it was very much about the internal external theft. Mm-hmm. Um, very much focus on the theft side of things. Mark, any different for you? No, I think you're right. I think I think the guys are spot on. It was it was very much thief taking. Uh, certainly, when I started out, it was thief taking. It was reporting how much how much you'd recovered versus how many apprehensions you had. It was locking things away as well. I think um, the security or, or prevention people, all as you say, ex police officers generally. Certainly, when when I was around, and uh, or ex forces guys, and um, a lot of them was locking up product and, and customers. You know, shopping habits have changed over the years, as, as we'll talk about shortly. But certainly, product was locked away. It was tagged. It was in safers. It was in all sorts of things where customers really couldn't actually pick it up because we were afraid that people would steal it. So, yes, uh, absolutely, very so much. Part like of that was that you also had your staff to be able to get those products out from the back or out of the case and things like that. Whereas these days, that's just not not there. So, I think there was the ability to actually be able to do that. Yeah. So what does the the present look like then? Oh, very different for, for, from my point of view. It's, you know, there's got to be a lot more smarts coming to it, a lot more analytics, a lot more thinking about what's going on and doing a lot more with a lot less. Um, you know, team sizes, when I first started in, in loss prevention in a, in a big chain that I worked for, we had 30 or 40 people on um, and that very quickly got whittled down, whittled down. They'd be lucky to have three or four people there now. So, you know, it's now a lot more smarter that you've got to be and a lot more 
figures based and actually you know doing things more on trends, uh, doing more with the information that you've got to actually uh, slow down that theft or or, or stop that theft. Uh, not necessarily catching the crooks. Veronica, you've got a small team for such a large fleet of stores. What does the, the present look like for you? So like in our roles now, we have to be able to multitask and be broader. So we have to be across um, a lot of processes as well. Well, like I said, in the past, we were um, driven by the theft side of things. But now we look at the admin side of things, the supply chain, the online channels. So if we do need to... Um, the role has expanded, so we do need to incorporate all of all of those kind of things um, under under our umbrella. So yeah, it's a, that's the challenge. It's like you need to be keep up to date with whatever retail's got um, got going. And Mark, for you, the present? Yeah, I, th- I think for us. Um is very much in line with, with the other guys. It's a, a lot of things, I guess, stock integrity sits with us now where we may not have done so in the past. And um, now I'm being dragged into into uh, meetings to, to, to explain why stock isn't correct or why is there um, stock integrity issues and what we're doing to fix it. So a big part of our role uh, in my business is stock integrity um, across both both fascias um and also um that be proactiveness as well i think we, we we try to be proactive in terms of you know as nick's saying you you've got to review your data so we we spend the time reviewing the data from last week how many incidents reported what type of incidents were reported which of the stores that were worst reported where where were the inventory issues the week before where was um where were where were the problems and then really focus on those core stores that are causing us problems to be able to reduce the loss so it's it's been able to look at the big picture as Ronnie's just said and and be able then to direct your resource to that um to that store to that area of the business to be able to fix it and then the review afterwards to make sure it's worked so it's very much like a plan act review cycle for us and and i think the other thing uh, for me is management as well i think in the past your district loss prevention manager or your regional loss prevention manager who certainly i reported to they never really developed you as such they never really managed you as such um, and these days, um, in this day and age, you have to manage your team as well. And you have to be able to, you know, we have regular one-to-ones, regular catch-ups. And it's about the management piece as well, I think, which which was missing before um, as well. So that's very much part of, part of what we're doing at the moment. And, and back then, we used to, you know... Um like I said, concentrate on the theft side of things. So we would encourage the team members to, you know, go, go make sure you get your stock back. Uh, you know, um, we wouldn't discourage them to run after thieves. <laughs> Don't go too far yeah. from the store. <laughs> <laughs> but nowadays it's about educating them not to do that. It's the complete opposite. It's, you know, um, it's so that they understand we don't do that. We don't we don't want you guys to risk um, your your lives and, you know, um, for, the, for our stock. It's about how we prevent it from happening in the first place. It's not about reacting to what's happened. Do you think that the uh, that's been necessary because of the laws as well? Mm. Absolutely. You've had to adapt that because I'm pretty sure, I mean, I know when I go into stores, teams always say to me, yeah, you know, we ran after this person. So I think they still do it. Yeah. Um, and it's a no-no. It's a definite no-no and, and their a, safety is I so it's paramount. Safety. Yeah. That, that's, you know, a work cover claim where someone gets bashed by a crook or something like that, it's going to cost the business uh, tens of thousands of dollars. So I, I definitely think that the safety laws... And the law's uh, not on our side. No. no. The, the police will sort of no. criticise you for chasing off after them. So, um, yeah, I, definitely the, the workplace safety laws and keeping your people safe and look workplace culture of that, you know, we look after each other, I think is definitely the, the paramount or the... Um, the, the the thing that's really focusing that 
Um, but again, there's other ways and means now to try and stop those people from stealing from us that don't involve chasing them down, jumping on buses mm. and trains and cars yeah. and all the other. Concentrate on not, you know, to preventing it in the first place from happening rather than, you know, dealing with the aftermath. What do we do after? Yeah. Mm. Okay. The, the level of violence these days as well. I think that's changed yeah. over the last year, few years as well. The level of violence that the, the teams face. Um, you know, we, we get, you know, I'm sure everyone does get reports every day. I mean, I spoke to an area manager this morning actually that said they went to a store, they went to stop someone at the front, you know, not even left the store. And, um, as they stopped someone to be able to come back because they'd seen them stealing the, they could turn around and was been threatened to be stabbed. Um, you know, so I think, you know, what is wrong with our society? <laughs> it is. And, and, you know, the level of violence, I think that these days now, is very is very high and and a lot of we get a lot of reports um and i'm sure everyone does um but that that i think has changed over the last few years and in, in where we are now in terms of, of private protection is oh, i was going to jump in there i know back in my again large uh, retail department store days as a covert um i'd probably say 70 percent threatened violence um probably 30, 40% delivered violence, um, 90% had syringes um, or weapons on them. Mm. I don't think much has actually changed. I think it's obviously there's different drugs. It was heroin back then. It's now ice. Um, I don't think the violence has changed so much. It's now we're putting people who are less skilled in dealing with that violence uh, in front of those people. So it's actually getting a bit more um, airplay. So, you know, if you just get a a teenage um, sales assistant now being told that they're going to get stabbed, it was a little bit different. I used to get told I'd get stabbed five times a week and, you know, water off a duck's back. So I don't think that the violence or the threats of it has changed too much. Um, I just think there's different people being exposed to it. When did it change that the law wasn't on your side? Like people are doing something wrong by society and it's a fine or a slap on the wrist. And I, I can't, I don't know when it changed that suddenly it became very legal and you guys really, there's not much that you can do. You almost have to just let someone walk out of your stores. For me personally, I think it was more when retailers changed as well. So resources dried up at retailers for loss prevention, resources dried up for police. So I think mm-hmm. it was just a case of everyone was had to tighten up and they then had to choose what they would actually prosecute or what they would help you with. And that all dried up as, as what our hours dried up. Um, look, I think it's never been perfect, but yeah, it certainly was a lot better. Yeah, and I think I think that, I think you're right. I think also that you know the retailers changed dramatically in terms of the see it, like it, buy it, touch it, feel it, buy it, whatever you want to call it, in terms of product availability. And we're not locking things away now. Things are not not things are out there. People can pick something up. People can look at it because they have to or they want to, and that's what sells. Um, and that creates more opportunity because people will just walk out with it. Um, and even people that maybe not thought about stealing soon as they pick something up and they have a look around and the sales assistants are busy that that might create the opportunity for people to to walk out with it so i think because retail retailers change so much now with chasing sales um and focus on on cost as well in terms of payroll ratios etc that um maybe that's 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 a contributing factor to i think because we're also time poor that you can't have things locked away anymore yeah. because otherwise they'll just go to your competitor absolutely yeah. if it's out have put it out yeah, yeah that's yeah. put it out yeah. in the open absolutely so yeah. it's uh it's it's a a balance i think yeah. that's quite difficult for retailers mm-hmm. so tell me if you had a wish list and money was no uh money wasn't an object money was it that was there was infinite amounts within your business 
Tell me what sort of technologies you'd like to introduce into the business to help improve your profit protection strategy, Veronica. Well, funny you say that because we're actually currently looking into RFID. I think that's just the way of the future. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, um, that would help. But I actually visited um, only a couple of weeks ago the Sea Foley store in Bondi and they had the magic mirrors there. Oh, uh, yeah, they're great. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, any technologies that would boost sales and help with the shrink is, is a tick for me. And so these mirrors, and I spoke to the um, team members that were there, um, so you walk into the change room and these mirrors are in the change room. It picks up everything you've got in your hands. Mm-hmm. So they had a lady that uh, had two garments in her hand, uh, walked in with a pram, and the mirror picked up six items. In there, like, oh, whoops, they fell in there. <laughs> that's exactly what she yeah. said. She's like, Oh, they must have fallen into my pram from six different locations, but oh, you know, well, that tucked happens. In I mean, come on, it all happens. We're all shoppers, come on, yeah. But just you know, having the salesperson then be able to see, Oh, there's actually six things in, in this room w- with you. Um, but yeah, like, so that's, that's a amazing. whole new that's re-education great. piece yes. with the teams at stores because yeah. you can't accuse anyone of anything, but you've now got to. Re-educate them on the language yes, that they the conversation use. Absolutely, you're going to have to have yeah. with absolutely. These yeah. Yeah. So, did C Folly? Did they talk about how that they had done that? Yep. So they just said, um, um, "This was the assistant manager that said to me." She just said, "Oh, there's actually like six items in in, in this room. Like, uh, um, can I can I take them from you, or do you want me to look for sizes?" And she then reached from underneath her pram and showed them to her. Oh, yep, there is six items in here. Right. So it's giving someone that opportunity to be good. Yeah. Using your customer service, not accusing you know the the, um, the person. But you've got to have people on the floor to do that, because if yeah. you don't have someone that's watching that, exactly, then the shoppies will work it out yeah. Yeah. and they'll just keep doing it. Yeah. So in, in C Folly, I think them they uh, they keep the change room doors closed, so they have to put people in there. So okay. as soon as you put people in there, they um it picks up the mirror, just picks up everything that's in because it's all RFID tagged. Mm-hmm. So the um the mirror just picks up everything you've got. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I definitely think the RFID piece is the future mm-hmm. of you know, each item being individually be able to be tracked as it goes in and out. Um, up, down, left and right. Um, obviously, is it going to be perfect? Who knows? Um, obviously, if we have in, infinite amounts of money, we'll be able to make it perfect. Um, but I think that sort of that, that level of tracking is going to be good. But again, like you said, if we don't have the people at the other end stopping that from walking out the door, the door's still open. Mm. So I, I think there's got to be some technology. It's got to be some education. It's got to be cultural change in, uh, in a business. Um, it's actually got to be led by the business as well as a, a profitability uh, piece rather than just stopping people stealing. Because technology is always the enabler. So it will assist you. But how do you change that culture within the store? Because that culture piece, that's not a skill. That's changing someone's behaviour, which I think is probably the hardest thing to do. Absolutely. Um, and again, you've got to educate the customer as well. Yeah. You've got to educate the team. You've got to educate the customer. Uh, you've got to educate everyone on this is now how we do it at this particular shop. And, you know, please do it the right way. Uh, you know, those, those new Amazon stores, um, you know, they're, they're fantastic that you can just walk in, pick the items up and, and walk out. I think that's the future of it. Um, that, you know, shops will be able to be less manned, but again, there'll always be someone to try and get around that. It won't take them long to work no. out. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, at JD Sports, if you had all the money in the world, what sort of technology would you put in? 
I'd like, I'd like to see everything talking to each other. I think I think um, whole integration piece with with uh, RFID end to end supply chain from the factory supplier to, to be able to track your inventory um, and then onto the shop floor. You link to your magic mirrors, um, linked to you know facial recognition CCTV. Talking to your EAS gates pops up on the screen, so the manager knows that such somebody's come in. You know all of that sort of technology talking to each other because i think sometimes you get separate pieces of technology which work very well um but 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 yeah you've got to have it all working together it's no i don't think this point if you're going to do it do everything Mm. um rather than you know um do one piece of it works really really well for one part of your business but the other part of your business is failing so i think i think i mean there's a lot of technology out there now um in terms of you know see folly obviously is your example there's brilliant um um as well so i think i think future i would love to have spend the money on just integrating everything alarm to cctv to eas to to rfid to um and then the people piece you know you always got to have that customer service um piece at the front as, as nick's alluded to um so i think coupled with that along to you know very high levels of training and customer service would um for for us i think well for me would be be brilliant so nick we've talked about the past and the present 10 years down the track, what's the future of loss prevention? What does it look like? Well, I don't think it'll be anything like we're doing today. I think it'll be, you know, there'll be no sort of generalist sort of role. You need to be probably an expert in uh, across a, a wide range and it'll be, uh, uh, me personally, I think it'll be risk-based rather than uh, loss-based. So what's the risk to your business? And that'll be from online risk to shoplifter risk to insurance risk to uh, work cover risk. I, I think that's going to be the future of loss prevention. Um that it'll be, uh, you know, it'll be a lot more people-based um, culture, education. Um, I just don't think that loss prevention as it is now will exist because, again, we can't go running around catching crooks like we did 10 years ago now. Um, I don't think we'll be doing what we're doing today in 10 years' time. I think it'll be uh, a lot more wide-reaching. Um, it'll be more about profit erosion uh, mm. than um, loss prevention or security or something like that. So I definitely think it'll be that a, lo- a lot more wide-ranging than what we currently do. Veronica, what does it look like for you? Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, um, definitely would be concentrating on, you know, total loss instead of just, you know, stock loss or cash loss or um, it'll be, you know, um, con- like assets as well would would, um, would come under our umbrella, asset loss and also um, loss due to damage. So, it, we, yeah, it's completely broad, but... But uh, definitely the online piece, that's just a whole big kettle of fish. <laughs> the new frontier. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think, you know, we already have in the JD stores online kiosks where you can order stuff from. And it's only a question of time before we do, you know, we had click and collect in the glue stores a few years ago. And having a whole piece around click and collect for us was, was a big challenge in terms of orders and dealing with the fraudulent orders and the risk of orders around click and collect. So I think, yeah, I think it's a, a lot more as we get more, um, you know, the, the retail teams come up with more ways to sell stuff, then we're going to have to adapt uh, and come up with ways to be able to implement that risk piece uh, to it and what, what's the risk of it. And, um, you know, uh, collecting parcels of, from, from click and collect to online sales to send from store to internet orders um, going through the going through the DC. You know, we already have someone checking internet orders to make sure they're going to the right addresses and things like that. Um, so I think, yeah, I think there's a lot of that. And I, and I, and I, I think, 
you know the 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 data piece will develop into business insights and things like that where um you work very closely with your you know if you haven't got a head of business intelligence i already work with him developing reports and things like that so i think this business insight piece and the data piece will be very important to help drive the proactiveness of the teams and to help deliver the value of the other mm-hmm. guys i think um the future needs to be well the future's now really isn't it you need to develop that reporting now to be able to sell your function to the business your business and, and give the value as show the value that you're adding um and i think that's something maybe in the past has not happened where um you've been able to arrest your way out of your shrink <laughs> um stuff um and now you can't do it you can't arrest you you know people are always going to steal from your shop you're always get they're never going to go away it's just what tolerance level you're going to have in terms of that uh, your level of, of shoplifting and you know if we if you focus on inventory accuracy that's going to be way much better than stopping shoplifters so so if we look at then bricks and mortar versus online what what does that look like to you guys are we going to see in 10 20 years time less bricks and mortar with the rise of online or is there always going to be a need for bricks and mortar Oh, look, I, I think there's always going to be need for bricks and mortar. I, I, I think it's the balance between the two that some retailers are not getting right at the moment. And I think um, it's the balance between multi-channel and the bricks and mortar. You've got to integrate the two. Um, and I'm not saying that JD do it very well, but what they do at the moment is that, you know, you walk into a store, there's interactive, um, you know, boards in built into the displays that's showing content there's contents in screens in the window there's online kiosks in there so if you can't find what you're looking for we take them to the kiosk and say let's find let's get it for you and order it for you on the kiosk that can get to your house um there's um you know the the footwear ordering system where we can instantly get order your shoes without even move, leaving the customer to go out and find them from the back. So I think there's a lot of stuff already, and I think it's a different stores or retailers have now got to integrate. You know, Magic Mirror thing's a great thing. Um, go back, keep going back to that because it's a, it's a brilliant idea, and that interaction as well with the customer. It's all about service. When you talked about it, it's that service piece. What do stores look like in the future? They've got to be the difference. They've got to, you've got to mingle the multi-channel or the omni-channel, whatever you want to call it, into the bricks and mortar. Because I think that we as customers go to bricks and mortars because we want to touch, touch we, and, yeah, absolutely. and feel. And we actually want to interact with other humans yeah. because otherwise we'd all just sit at home on our laptops and ordering things online and waiting for it to arrive via Australia Post. So I, I don't know. I don't – I'm not sure as a consumer – if I'm happy about bricks and mortar going. Yeah, being forced online. Mm, yeah. I, I think for me it's more it's not going to be bricks and mortar versus online. I think it's going to be an amalgamation of the two. Um, I think it'll actually come down to payment method. Um, that how you want to pay for these things. So obviously you've seen afterpay, zip pay, um, WeChat pay, Alipay, yeah. there's all these different ways that you mm. can pay that I think that will actually drive how people shop. So, you know, I'll buy it um yeah, you know, online, I'll go to the shop, I'll pick it up. Or you know, I'll go into the shop and say, look, I want this delivered to home. I think those that will actually change the online versus bricks and mortar versus more than anything else. But isn't that going to be a nightmare then for you guys from a, a loss prevention <laughs> and fraud? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So but again, it depends on your partnership that you've got with your 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 payment vendors. Um, you know, there's some vendors out there that take the risk and there's other vendors who don't take the risk. Uh, and that's then how risk averse you want to be in your business. Our online, our online uh, area at the moment, we're, 
um, I wouldn't say risk averse, but we want the customers. We can't afford to knock back customers. If you knock back that genuine customer because you think it's fraud, you may have lost them for life. Mm. So again, can we take that risk? All of a sudden, the chargeback comes through and you go, oh, God, we maybe we should have stopped that one. However, you can't stop them all. So it's about your risk appetite uh, to what you want to ex- accept um, and the, the value you place in that with your business. Because I'm guessing probably you've all been thrown in the deep, deep end with this online fraud piece because it's not traditional LP, let's face it. Is that the case for you, Veronica? Yeah, totally. <laughs> didn't didn't even know there was – when I came across chargebacks, it, wow, it blew my mind, like how they how these people were doing, um, yeah, claiming um, credit card fraud and, and then getting chargebacks and it wasn't actually credit card fraud in the first place. There was There's a bit of it um, that sits in there. But, yeah, that's just like – like I said, blew my mind and how big it is and, yeah. So how do you come up to speed with it? How do you – is Very it- quickly. <laughs> yeah. You have to. You don't have a choice. No. <laughs> Very quickly and um, working with the online team. So I had to g- quickly get my head around how they're doing this. You know, what's the what's the process of purchasing online? How, how do you guys see it? How do we see it? And implementing, um, you know, platforms like Cybersource. We have Cybersource that sits in the background that has all different types of rules. So all of our orders go through Cybersource. Source, um, and they they do all the checking, and then they flag any orders that um, they deem is fraudulent. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, and then you know, obviously, we'll, we have the online team to then sit there and review these orders that have come come up as fraudulent. Um, but like Nick said, we are guessing on some of them. Yeah. You know, uh, w- whether it's fraudulent or not, we're, we're taking that risk with some of them. Um, so yeah, it's it's it, but it's a massive learning curve, like, and we're still learning. So if your loss, pre- sorry, Nick, if your loss prevention team is three, how many are in your online online fraud? There's three of them, and they only dedicate an hour uh, to look at online. Uh, wow, these fraudulent orders. Yep. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, no, look, I, I, I'm not much better. I, we're not. I, I mean, same as Ronnie. I came here when I came into the glue business. Um, they'd had a, a tool, and uh, I, I knew nothing about online fraud. To be, I, I had an idea about it, but I didn't know the, the detail. Uh, and I learned very quickly, very similar, very similar to you, and, and spent a lot of time on it and, and reduced it to virtually nothing. But over the years, um, you know, with with the growth and, and business, you you, you can't dedicate as much time for it and recently our, our chargebacks have, have obviously increased we've moved away from um we've embraced technology and we've moved away from a rules-based system um because it takes too much time um you have to review it the labor costs involved in it uh, are huge um in dealing with a chargeback or dealing reviewing or, or chasing up credit card checks and things like that so we, we've got rid of all of that um and we've moved to a a, a more ai uh, based um yes or no system oh tell me more um yeah <laughs> happy happy <laughs> to uh, have happy to share uh, later, but uh, but yeah so we've moved to, moved to that where uh, the, the the company we we're, we're talking to they they um will absorb all of the chargebacks basically so um we we will never in theory never have real chargeback again in the in the, is is the is the promise uh, yes we will get them but when we get them we forward them straight onto the onto the um onto this business and they will deal with it so um yeah it, it that i think is um 
a part that's moved very quickly, the rules-based system that we had to review every month or every two months we had to review. Then we had to sit down and I had to sit down and take rules out. Then we had to think of new rules. And then we'd have a, you know, an issue where we'd had, uh, I remember um, a couple of years ago, we had a, a fraud on Timberland boots at Glue where we would get a lot of overseas um, cards buying multiple pairs of Timberland boots. Um, some we, 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 we probably got about 20 grand back but we lost a, a little bit more but um, yeah and that sort of we thought about oh, now we have to put rules in about stopping people by multiple purchases of the same it, it just it was never ending it's been never ending with it so um, I, I took the opportunity to have a look around and we found this this you know a, a vendor that, that can do a very quick yes or no millisecond decision is no disruption to the customer experience. And again, that's the, the when you when you're looking at these um, solutions, the retail teams now and your and your Burn and merch teams and your online teams that are so crucial to it now because um, you have to be cross functional. I think you touched on you it earlier. Can't you can't experience. interrupt the customer experience now because um, and it's got to be seamless. Um, and that's where you have we're to adapt. We're fickle, aren't we? Absolutely, customers. yeah, yeah, we are. Yeah, of course. And <laughs> you know, nobody wants to spend ages waiting for a decision on a on a on a on, a, on an order. They'll just go somewhere else. And mm. um, yeah, so it's you know that's one part of technology we're using at the moment, or we're starting to use. Hopefully, by the end of the month. But um, yeah, it's a big online fraud will be a big. That will be a massive issue. And I know, I know a lot of businesses at the moment are spending put a lot of resource into it. I think at the moment, um, but I, I still think you need your boots on the ground as well I think you need your people in the stores interacting with your team coaching training developing the teams as well um, so I think we have to be careful um, between too much technology and, and not and not enough human interaction I think one thing I found from from our point of view our online people are very different than our in-store people in terms of, of loss prevention. Um, our online people are more from the banking sector, understanding um, the, the pros and cons and all the, the, the goings-on in the banking side of things with the chargebacks, whereas our in-store people just had zero understanding mm. of that. So mm. we've had it very different. Um, so our online person wouldn't interact in from a loss prevention point of view from an in-store. So um, we found that very different and a very different skill set. Um, but again, at some point, we're going to have to sort of cross merge and, and and work through those things. What about data analytics? How important is that to your business, Veronica? Yeah, um, very. Um, so because we have minimal staff, mm. there's three of us for 420 stores and counting. Um, so yeah, reporting and all of that, anything that we can get the system to do um, and then just flag um, with us, uh, obviously will help immensely. Um, yeah, because we don't have people on the ground and it would help um, with our regional managers as well. So it's not just for our department. It also will help mm-hmm. the, the retail team with their regional managers um, just to flag certain stores with them, you know, a store with high refunds or like whatever it may be. But, yeah, definitely. So it's all exception-based reporting? Yes. Yeah. But do you find that that gets lost though? I, I find you have too many reports. There's actually awesome information within those reports. If you have too many, that's it, you're lost. I also yeah. find that if you've got too many, you don't have someone that's necessarily analysing that data, even though it is flagging just those exceptions. Because those teams, like we said before, the teams have, uh, are down quite low as far as numbers go. So who analyzes that data? Because you can have any report, you can have every exception, yeah. but if no one's actually looking, yeah. if no one's opening that email or, or actioning that report, it's sort of irrelevant. It is, I yeah. still think you need that expertise to really go through that next level of 
uh, analysis, review, and then obviously uh, putting actions into place. Because again, you could send out a thousand refund reports and it'll give them all the answers that they want. Um, Again, they don't open the email, they choose not to do it, they forward it to their area manager who forwards it to their store manager who forwards it to some casual on a weekend, nothing will ever get done. So I think you can have too much analysis uh, or too much uh, exception-based reporting um, that you just get lost. I I think you still need the experts who know the information and know the, the difference between Although that's an exception, it's okay. That's an exception. I've got someone stealing from me. So, do you all have analysts within your business that can that do look at those types of reports? I know for us, we don't have analysts as such. Um, but part of my upskilling of the team that I've got is actually having that analytical um, expertise to look at those sorts of reports and be able to identify that this is a problem. Um, they may not instantly go. I've got this person on, uh, on, uh, you know, out and out done. They might just have to go, right, there's something, a problem here. I've got to go that next level. So, um, no uh, analyst as such, but again, really looking at that information at a, at a better level than what a store manager or an area manager can do. Mark, what about for JD? No, uh, we don't have an analyst, um, uh, although it would be nice to have one, to be honest, but, uh, look, we, 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 I think Nick's right. I think it's what you give the teams um and i think we only focus on a very small number of reports and reports that we think will will actually do bring the most value um and i think that's where you could get lost in all this data analytics um and and whatever it is you're looking at because we we only focus on certain things you know the stores are stock take quarterly so we'll have a stock take report which do which is literally three pages of um the key things that are a result of that stock take and a summary page to highlight in the key areas of, of, of the loss. And that's pretty much it. Then the store gets a shrinkage reduction plan. That's it. You know, we, we keep it very short. We keep it simple. Um, and we, and we just keep it very focused on the actual things that are driving the loss rather than trying to, dr- trying to drive too much, uh, information. So I think data analytics, business insights, whatever you want to call it is, is very important. But I think you have to, and it depends on the business you're in. I think it really does. I think each business is different and the profit protection manager has to know their business uh, inside out for them to be able to, to, to produce the information that will get the big, biggest wins. Mm-hmm. I think um, too much information, you'll get lost and, and no one will act on it. And you've got to have senior management on board as well. If they just think oh, all refunds are bad, it's like, well, no, refunds are part of your policy and 97.8% of them are good. Um, sometimes they can actually push you down the wrong path of what they expect you to to pick out of this information rather than actually relying on the expertise or the the, the, the person saying, no, this is your problem. Um, so that's, for me, that's another sort of roadblock that we end up having. Hmm. Veronica, you don't. I'm, I'm going to take a wild guess and go. You don't have an analyst. <laughs> Are you like Mark and you'd like one? Let's see one Monday. <laughs> it's all incorporated as part of our role. I think like we all yeah. need to be able to uh, analyze um, reports. So it's that's the important piece. Um, uh, important part of our job as well. Like it's not just you know being in stores and, um, but it's how we look at reports and you know how we filter through those reports to um, understand which ones we can give and pass on to regional managers to store managers mm. but yeah so it's it's important that we all know how to do that and if you talk about the size of teams we talked about earlier about teams that these days seem to be shrinking you know is an analyst you know, a resource that really you could you do can without. Have. And Harris are nice to have, isn't it? Um, um, and it goes back to, I guess, if you had an infinite amount of money, I'd have a you know, massive team. But um, Would you prefer an analyst or 
someone out in the field? Uh, I, 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 good question. Uh, I think I'd prefer, personally, I'd prefer someone out in the field. I, I, I think, you know, we, we lose the basics a little bit um, and um, you can rely on all this, have someone sat behind a desk producing report after report after report. But if you've got his next point, you've got no one out there doing anything with it, it's pointless. Mm-hmm. I, uh, you know. back in a, in a previous role, we had an analyst and I came into this role and I said to this person, okay, you're, you're an analyst, you know, show, tell me what you're looking at. And he went through the, the 50 reports that he does a week. And I said, okay, so who do you report to at the end of the week? And he goes, what do you mean? Well, I report to no one. I don't send a report to anyone. It's just I tick the box to say I've been analysing. And then it got to, okay, so how many people have you had terminated? And it was um, uh, really none. So, again, it can be... The, that was a business direction that they just wanted this guy analysing this stuff because they found a fraud somewhere along the line um, and just wanted someone doing it. So, so it was just, it was an absolute waste of time that this, what this person was doing. Obviously, with some direction on, all right, let's just start with refunds or let's just start with this rather than scattergun approach on a report that got you a crook 12 years ago isn't going to get you a, a crook today. So, you know, that was really sort of opened my eyes that, you know, the analyst has got to be able to actually analyze the right thing. In my response, I, I'd definitely have someone on the ground because that's where you actually mm. get the relationship with the stores, with the, the managers, the owners or the area managers, whatever. Um, that's where you can then massage that relationship to get that information if something's going wrong. But you have to, you have to, you know, your stakeholders at the end of the day, and you have to have, like these days, you have to have a very close relationship with your retail team. If you haven't, you're not going to succeed. Um, if they don't trust you. They if they don't trust you, they won't. They won't tell you anything. And yeah, and read the area managers, you know, if you're talking to a small team, you know, three people across 420 stores, you've got to work with your area managers, haven't you? They're the ones that are driving your loss in the stores. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's the same with us. We, we, we drive, we, we maintain a massively close relationship with all areas of the business, but especially the retail teams, because I need the area manager to drive their store manager. Um, and if I'm going to hold someone accountable for the loss, I'm holding the store manager and the area manager accountable for the loss because they're the, they're the business owners and um, we're here to support them do that, um, but we're not here to do it for them. Um, and, that, and that's how we sort of try and operate. I think it's quite difficult to keep shrinkage because I think I've said on many occasions it's not a sexy topic for a lot of people. <laughs> yes, it is. We all find it interesting. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> but how do you keep that front of mind? Along with sales, because sales is what everyone wants to talk about, and that's that's key, obviously, for the business. How do you keep it front of mind for your stores and, and your regional managers to make sure that every time a regional manager goes into one of the stores, they're talking about shrink and they're talking about sales? Um, one thing from from our point of view, we're a franchise network, so every dollar loss is a dollar out of their wallet. Mm. So that's very powerful when you say, you know, if you save, you know, every dollar that you save is a 100% profit, you know, no buyer that can give you 100% markup on a product, I can give you that. Um, you know, you follow the, the, the guides and the tools that we give you, you can actually, you know, every dollar you save is actually another dollar profit that you're going to put back into your pocket. So for them, that's very motivating. And that's very personal. But on the flip side, you've got big business that still every dollar you save, you put back onto the bottom line. And yet that passion doesn't seem to be there as much at a CFO level. And so I, I don't know why that is. Yeah, it's a tough one. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's just a conflicting um motivations conflicting things that they need to do they need to get sales um again you know you go to boardrooms and shareholder meetings and things like that it's all about 
know, what's your underlying sales? What's this? What's that? Obviously, profit comes into it. Um, shrinkage is not really ever bought into it unless there's some real um, big factor that's come into it. So it's not one of those top line um, bits of information that go out there. So I, I suppose it's hard for them to be um, to, to get crazy about it if it's not uh, not the headline. So Veronica, how do you get people to talk? How do you get your regionals to talk shrink and sales at the same time? So what we always tell them is, you know, um, all their hard work in increasing sales, making sales, make, f- uh, focusing on customers. If everybody's focused on sales so all of that hard work you building sales is nothing when you've got shrink to go with it so if you've got a high performing um selling store and you've got and they've got really bad shrink all of that it goes down the drain Mm -hmm. there's no point in having a high high selling store and having the shrink to go with it so that's what um that's what i we like to um talk to them about and um it, it has worked because they're like yeah what why would you um Put all investment to try and build sales, you know, all of this, and then we've got a really bad shrink hand in hand. Because I think it would be hard for you guys to be accountable. You've got relatively small teams going out into large numbers of stores. You can't physically be out in all those stores in, in one hit. And it's hard for you guys to be accountable for the shrink that's happening in a high theft store when you're not physically there. Yeah, I know. We, sorry, we, we, in, in the in the JD world, the managers are bonused on loss shrink targets. So their quarterly bonus, because we we stock take quarterly, if they don't achieve their shrinkage target, they don't get part of the bonus. Mm. Um, and that's what makes them accountable because they don't want to lose any money. Um, and they're, 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 they're two things. They're accountable for the compliance as well. So once we do a stock take in that store within a week, uh, the regional profit tech manager has to do a compliance review. Um, so the compliance score um, and the shrinkage goes towards their bonus so that's that's how we've made them accountable we're saying well if you don't want your bonus then you're not going to achieve it um and and, and also we, we you know if you look at your total loss you you put that as a percentage of your sales uh, and you work out well you've actually lost x if this was sales this is what you've lost um and if you then look at um products or you look at then look at your worst stores and say, well if you actually reduced it you'd increase sales by this amount i think it's just how you position it and i think that goes back to that capability of teams these days and, and the value that they're adding. And to, you have to be, I guess, in the future of profit protection, you have to be a bit of a business person as well, yep. don't you? You have to, it's not all about, you know, you go back to, we talk a lot about catching quick. It's not about that. It's about having an understanding of your business and about how you fit into your business and then what value can add to that business and then showing in, a, in the right way what you can add which will then get you the buy-in of people, get you the buy-in. I think of your senior of your senior teams. I think. Yeah, for us, it's about how can you demonstrate your value. If you can't demonstrate your value, you you shouldn't be here. Yeah, yeah. You're useless. Yeah. Well, why are you here? What do you do? Yeah. Uh, why? Why you know? Why should we continue to pay you if you can't tell me what you do and how you justify your things? And that's where the data comes in. You, you know, we mm. talk, talk about data, and you know, we produce. Um, you know, we have to send our weekly figures broken down by department, etc., to, to the UK every week. Uh, as I said, uh, we we produce quarterly report on everything that we've done for the whole quarter: compliance, family checks that we've done, how many visits that we've done. Um, by store 
Um, and that goes actually goes out weekly, but quarterly we sit down as a group and go, right, how many profit protection reviews have we done this month? A quarter, these are the, are these are the stores and, um, how many open and closed visits have we done this month? So all of this information goes to justifying or showing that value that you've added. Um, and we talk through every quarter, everything that we've done. And then we're able to plan for the following quarter to say, right, we need to improve visits in these particular stores because we haven't visited them enough. We need to, um, you know, this is the highest reporting store in theft store in, in the business. What are we doing differently? How can we now reduce that for the next quarter? Um, footwear is a, could be a focus for the quarter. I think when we did that and we get retailers in on it as well. So our heads of retail and our area managers come into our meeting and we have a joint profit protection and retail meeting and we'll go through all of that stuff. Um, so you get the buy-in from the teams um, and, you know, we'll agree three or four focuses, just very, very simple, two, three, four key focuses maximum of what we all agreed to commit to for that quarter and then we review it the next quarter. So that plan act review um, piece. What about the accountability of buyers? Should they be remunerated on shrinkage? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. Um, we have this, we've had this discussion in our business actually uh, a few times. I haven't got anywhere with it to be honest, but, um, I have raised it that, that, um, no, I, yeah, I mean, in the glue side, in the glue facial, we, we, we actually did, um, one of the previous heads of planning actually, we, we, we used to come and we used to sit together and plan the shrinkage, um, and what I believe the shrinkage would be based on, on the history and what she was budgeting shrinkage to be from, from that side and stuff. So we did a bit of work on that actually. Um, not as much as I, you know, I wanted to, you know, but it's a, it is a really interesting question. Um, should they? I don't, I don't know. I mean, a lot of people in our business thinks yes. A lot of people think yes. Um, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see what the other guys think, actually. For, for me, I think that's really tough because if you are selling a pro- you know, you're a buyer for a product that is in demand, you know, the flavor of the month, something like that, it's hard then that you're going to get penalized because it's a high risk line. Um, you know, in our business, we have fragrances, they're high risk, high theft. Um, so it'd be tough to then challenge then the buyer to say, well, you need to get your shrinkage down because what can they do? Because all they're yeah. doing is choosing the fragrance. Um, you know, then it's up to us to how do we um, secure that fragrance. So I, I'm, I'm sort of a bit mixed on that. Yeah, I should have some uh, control because obviously, you know, for, for them it's just, well, how much I buy. Um, the more they lose, the more they can afford to buy. So, you know, for them it's actually not too bad. But again, do you punish them on something that they've got no control over? The, uh, uh, the, for, for our business, the only um, thing they should be accountable for. So um, we don't like to keep any terminal stock. So any any stock that is past last season, um, last year, um, they don't like to keep it in stores. So a lot of the time what we do is that we um, donate that to, to charity. So a lot of that is gets written off. And it sits on my shrink line, mm. so that's the that's the piece I go. That should be your account. I was going to say because yeah, that's, that's your right account. <laughs> something it. that you have yeah. no control exactly. over. Yeah. So yeah, that 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 part is like what I spoke about about the the wastage. So there's a lot of that um, in it, and, but that's you know that's our business. We don't like to keep um, anything that's really um, any. Old and daggy. Past the pre past the sale season, um, but yeah, so that's. That's what I think. So shouldn't then everyone be accountable for shrinkage? Shouldn't everyone be remunerated? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And then you'd get buy-in? Shrinkage is everybody's business. Correct. It is, yeah. Shrinkage or profitability. And I think profitability is probably more an overarching, you've got to sell it, you've got to present it, you can't lose it. 
Um, you know, you've got to get rid of it in the in the, the period of time. So I think that's probably more what it should be based on rather than just shrink, just sales, just turnover or anything like that. But yeah, you're right. And I think, you know, but that goes, that department, it all goes back to that maintaining your relevance and your value. And if you're in there highlighting that to, to those people when you you convince you can convince them to they will take accountability for it um they will do and and even in 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 our stores some of the footwear lines you know nike for example always in our stores because they've you know they have a shopping shop and it's always at the front you know we haven't had a huge issue in a couple of stores we got a lot of display shoes stolen and stolen and they went down to footlocker and stole the other one because they 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 they, uh, display the opposite shoe to we do um you know, um, and, and, you know, we went to, um, I went to the buyer and said, can you help me with Ullage back tonight? Should, should, if they want to put their thing there, they should pay for it. And we tried to push the shrink back to them. So we, we did, we did work with the, probably not as much as we should do. I, I totally agree. And maybe we should do it really, but we do try with them. Um, and then we, we, we did some other things and, um, you know, we looked at displays and, you know, secure displays and stuff like that. But then you're taking away the, you know, you're going back to locking everything yeah. up and, and, and whatnot. And Maybe you could put fake shoes you know, you go, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could get, yeah. Yeah, so it's, um, it's, it's, it's a really, I think, an interesting debate. Um, uh, and maybe you know, an interesting debate on whether buyers should, should really merchandisers should um, have shrink I think it's an interesting question so I think the last thing I want to talk to you guys about is collaboration not not just within your own business but uh, with other retailers so we're in a unique position right now I've got three retailers sitting in front of me and quite openly you're discussing things we haven't really seen that before or probably in the last maybe 10-15 years um we need to go somewhere with this collaboration piece. We all keep talking about it. How do we get to the point where we can have retailers within the same vertical market, different vertical markets, sitting down with common problems, trying to resolve them? How do we how do we do that? It's a tough one because there's always people, um, you know, in business who don't want to share ideas, don't want to share competitive edge. Um, I think you'll find most loss prevention people are genuinely good people who want to share ideas. Um, there's not too many I come across that will say, I'm not talking to you because you're a competitor or even at arm's length that you're too too close. Um, you know, there's not too many loss prevention people I come across like that. Most are very willing to speak openly in general terms. Um, you know, obviously you're not going to get shrinkage numbers out of my direct competitor and nor would I want to because, um, you know, that's none of their business and I wouldn't want to share mine. But, you know, sharing general ideas, I think, you know, happens already. Um, it's how can we do it a bit more officially rather than sort of down the, the back lane way doing it, uh, that we can actually do it in, in a lot more open forum. I think, you know, PPFF, um, the conferences that we do actually uh, highlight a lot of this uh, collaboration that we can do. Um, podcasts, this is, you know, obviously something very different that's not been done before as well that, you know, as a, as a retailer, maybe that, that I'm not involved in this, I can sit there and actually listen to someone from JD Sports, um, someone from Chemist Warehouse, et cetera, et cetera, that, to get some of these different ideas. So um, I, I think we're on the way, um, but how we break down those those trade secrets that we're not giving out anyway, um, I'm not quite sure. They're definitely much better at it um, now um, than back, uh, you know, five let's five ten years ago they're definitely much better at it now um but i think the restriction is not from the actual lp managers i think it's the the business so i know in some companies it's the actual business that doesn't want 
their LP managers to talk about, you know, the issues and um, even even general generally. Um, I feel that's very old school. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah. It's still there's still some businesses out out there like that, um, and like like I said, it, they're they're definitely getting better because you know, me and you, Mark, are in mm. a you know email group where. Um, with other retailers where if there's, you know, something that happens in a, a shoplifting um, incident that happens in one centre, we get all we all get emailed um, to say this is what's happened, this is who it is. They, they email us pictures of, you know, of, um, offenders. Um, so we all, we all get that. It's like a little... Yeah, it's our own little group, really. We yeah. started ourselves. Uh, but that would be awesome if we could expand that nationally and, it's interesting. Yeah, it has. Yeah, it has. And that's really good because there's, there's quite a few diverse people on there that do that. And um, But how do we – I think, yeah, it's a really good question. I don't know the answer, to be honest. Um, you know, in the UK, you could look, you know, look to the National Business Crime Association, which is which is just set up there. And how do we get that set up in Australia? I, I don't know. It needs to take some, some really big um, businesses um, to support – that and law enforcement, uh, and well. law enforcement it absolutely 100 percent needs a needs a senior police officer to help drive it um you know if we could partner with someone like that someone in the government um side of stuff to help try and launch um you know a national business crime association um for australia and i know you know kpmg had a had a, we're talking about trying to do something um uh, to try and help kickstart that as well and host events and and, it, and people just uh, it's strange because you know there's a certain select group of retailers that yes will share information, and I'm happy to share a lot of stuff, and I do. And but you're right. There's a lot of people that don't seem to have the appetite to come and join and come and just talk about you know we're not we're not as you say we're not sharing secrets. We're talking about common issues that we're facing and how are we how are we dealing with it. And I, I you know I think the KPMG tried really hard to, and and they struggled to get people just to fill in a simple survey. Hmm. You know, just a simple survey. Say, are you interested? Would you come along? Um, what are the things you want to talk about? And they sent that to a lot of people, and, and nobody replied. Well, I think Adrian Beck had the same issue. That's the same issue, yeah. And, hmm. they, and then we're all sitting on one side. People go, "Oh, we don't collaborate enough." And then we're given the opportunity. Exactly right. And people go, "You know, I ain't got time to do it." Well. You know, and, and I, I, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's, it's. I don't know. It's a very difficult question. Um, I don't. Know. Maybe but, baby, you know, baby steps. It is, yeah. It's baby steps. You know, the PPF is, is a great platform for that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what we as Nick says, what we're doing at the moment is is a fantastic tool as well. So, hopefully, these type of things will gain that momentum for people to come and say, "Hey, I want to be part of it." Uh, and maybe the PPFF could be the driver for the for the for the forum, you know, nationally in a in a more you know expanded role. I think also part of it is, um, you know, telling a business, I need half a day, half a day to go do this. Um, sometimes I go, what value is that going to add to my business? And it's like, well, it may not add anything to your business, but it adds a lot to my repertoire. It adds a lot to my network. It adds a lot to my knowledge that I can actually bring back to the business. It's hard to justify that. It's hard to put a dollar figure on that to say, well, you know. You want to fly to Sydney. You want to be there overnight. You want to do this, this, and this. Um, you know, that's going to cost a thousand dollars. We're going to get a thousand dollars worth of value. I think overall, absolutely, you're going to get far more than that. But sometimes justifying that value can be difficult as well. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, we've made it to the final countdown. Woohoo! <laughs> the last three questions, and I know that I've spoken to you all, but I'm going to ask you all again, Mark. First of all, if you weren't doing loss prevention, what do you think you'd want to do? Well, many years ago. 
um, when I before I joined the army, actually, I was offered an apprenticeship at um, a um, a playground making place factory because I used to play football for one of the guys that was the manager, uh, and he offered me an apprenticeship there, and I'd already signed up to the army. So if I hadn't signed up to the army at that point, I would probably be. Um, making playground equipment um, <laughs> for Wicksteed Leisure in the UK it is probably what I would be doing. Out of recycled drink container. Yeah, <laughs> probably, yeah. yeah. Nick, what about you? Look, I've had a good thing about this. I, I actually want to be like a customer liaison manager for a uh, Thai resort. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I can sit there. Steady. <laughs> uh, no, in, in, in that, obviously, because uh, obviously a lot of those areas are you know heavily Australian-focused on tourism and things like that, that you could actually uh, – I've stayed at a lot of those types of resorts and, and sometimes getting that information or getting that sort of – that customer liaison is, is really poor. I think I could do actually a really good job and have like an extended holiday at the same time. <laughs> nice. I think that's a great idea. <laughs> Veronica? Um, probably something in the creative field. Um, growing up, I, you know, uh, um, probably an artist of some sort. So I love to paint. Um, have, have absolutely no time to do that, um, lately. But yeah, love to paint. Um, love, love to sing in my own space. <gasps> oh, so we might get a song now that you've got a no, microphone no, no. in your hand. Po- no, we could do a podcast not. musical. <laughs> Um, and yeah, so anything to do, creative. Perfect. <laughs> Mark, if you could change anything in the industry, what would it be? Oh, good question. Um, like I think, um, if I could change exactly what we just spoke about, um, having a, a national business crime, uh, association for Australia and having that, um, you know, regular, uh, with the police, um, with the government, um, with the big, big retailers out there with every retailer really coming together and sharing information, um, developing solution strategies, et cetera, to be able to to benefit everyone. I think that's, that would be the biggest thing I think I'd change. Nick? Uh, for me, obviously collaboration is important, but I, th- I think another thing is actually um, – what loss prevention is all about, as in you know, making people, in, you know, senior owners and managers and business uh, businesses understand what expertise we can actually bring for them, uh, for their business to actually make them a lot more profitable. Sometimes uh, we get um, labelled as, oh, you're a security guard that can do a few more extra things. Um, you know, it's not like that. What we want to actually do is actually say, I can actually make your business in absolutely more profitable if you give me a chance to uh, to, to prove ourselves. Veronica? Um, I think... I'd definitely like to see more women in LP. Um, you know, I've heard I've heard we're very process driven. <laughs> um, so yeah, definitely uh, more women in LP, and you know, just the whole LP image. Like you said, Nick, we we're seen as like the security guards of the business. Um, so, You're the bad guys. Yeah. So having more women, uh, I think, will soften it a little bit, not in a good way. Not in a good way. <laughs> um, but yeah. And lastly, Mark, your advice for anyone wanting to get into loss prevention. Oh, look, I think, um, you know, I, I, I think Don't anyone. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably get out of it. No, um, no I, th- I, think, I think it's about um, passion uh, and, and for whatever business you're in and whatever you're doing is, is to, to have a real keen interest in, in um, the processes of that particular area that you're interested in and having the, having thoughts about how to improve it, I think, and becoming suggest- and challenging everything, I think. Um, you know, in our roles, you have to challenge the norm most of the time and you have to, you have to see the bad 
the yeah. bad side of things. I think if you can do that um, and you have a knack for it, um, that would be a, a great way into it where you're consistently asking, why is that happening that way? Why can't we do it this way? Or did you realize that, that you know, that's happened and that's caused us this problem? And I think that if you can continue to do that in the business you're in and you can make yourself hurt, that's a really good way of getting into it, I think. Nick? Yeah, I think what Mark's saying is, is really relevant, that if you've got that passion for something that's a little bit different than the normal sort of retail that you want to question, you look, I know we've been doing this for 10 years, but is it the right way? Um, you know, passion for numbers, passion for change. I, I, I think that's the sort of people we want to get. We don't want the, um, you know, the same old, same old that we've had. Um, we don't want someone put into loss prevention because that's what you have to do to become an area manager. Um, you know, I think people who want to be passionate about it, they're the ones that we need to get in, involved and get them in. And, and I suppose as leaders within the, the loss prevention industry, we need to make sure that we encompass those people and actually help them out and, and give them a helping hand because I've had a couple of managers who gave me a helping hand and I had a couple of others who, who did nothing. So, you know, I think that's what we've got to do is, you know, those people who are passionate about it, that we need to um, help them out and put mm. them under our wing. Veronica? Um, yeah, definitely agree with the, with everything there. Definitely the passion piece, but um, I think they need to um, really understand the role because it has completely changed, um, and that you you need to be um, across um, so much so much more departments and um, and just you know be broader in your skills. Um, so, like I said before, I, I do prefer to to have somebody who who knows um, processes in store. So, uh, I, when personally, when I hire somebody, I, I do tend to look internal uh, internal progression mm-hmm. because you know half the battle is having um, knowing all your in store policies and procedures and processes. So, have all that down pat. But you also need to be health and safety conscious. You also need to be a, a business partner. You also need to have good um, uh, training skills, coaching skills. You need to be able to speak um, to your regionals and your store managers. Um, so, yeah, good people skills as well. Mm, so it's not just yeah. about being security guards and mm-hmm. investigations and, you know, um, reprimanding people, but, yeah. Gone are the thug days, hey? The thug life. Hashtag thug, thug life. life. <laughs> Team, it has been really interesting talking to you and I really appreciate the frank and robust discussion that we've had. Um, I think it's necessary. I think we should all probably keep talking about it. Um, and it's always hard to predict what the future is going to hold and I know it's been a little bit unfair of me to ask you what does LP look like in 10 years' time, but I think you've done a really good job. I think you've nailed it. It's diverse. It's it's not just catching crooks. It's not just one thing that you do. It is so diverse mm. and it's only going to get more and more diverse. So I think um, that you've really nailed it in what, what you've said and I really appreciate your time today. If you would like to get in touch with any of our committee members, you can find them on LinkedIn or you can email them via the PPFF website. We will put their details in the show notes. You can subscribe to the weekly podcast via iTunes, Google Podcasts and Spotify and there's a link to download episodes and show notes on the PPFF website. This podcast is proudly brought to you by the Profit Protection Future Forum. It is written and produced by Juliet Woodward and myself, Nicole Smith, and is kindly hosted by Wooshka. So that's season two of Retail's Conversations with Profit Protection wrapped up for 2019. We're going to take a short break whilst we prepare for season three. Thanks for subscribing, rating us and the feedback we have received. 
We've got some great topics and speakers lined up for Season 3 based on what you want to hear. On a personal note, I'd like to thank our executive producer, Juliet Woodward, for all her work that she puts in behind the scenes to get this podcast edited and ready for you to listen. I hope you'll join me in 2020 so we can keep talking all things profit protection. Thanks for listening to Retails, conversations with profit protection. If you like what you hear, make sure you subscribe via iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. If you want to find out more about the Profit Protection Future Forum, head to ProfitProtection.co or find us on LinkedIn. Drop us a message on info at ProfitProtection.co with feedback on our show. 